You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. Uh, Today's topic, it is part two of our series, Old World Technology Hidden in Plain Sight. Uh, If you have not caught that first uh, episode in the series, I highly suggest you give it a, um, a go. Uh, In this particular episode, we are going to go over uh, more inventions from Nikola Tesla. Uh, In this one, we're going to talk about uh, Niagara Falls. And we're also going to talk about how the World Fair was powered. And then um, one other thing that I ran across. Now, interestingly enough, this is my second time recording this. Yep, literally recorded the first uh, take of this second episode series. Went back to edit it. Microphone acted up all the way through it. Literally, I got nothing. So nonetheless, I was not a happy camper at all. Uh, But we are going to move forward, okay? So uh, in that first episode of this series, uh, we went over the Tesla turbine and um, oscillators. So this one, we're going to go over, um, like I said, the Niagara Falls Power Project. Now this weekend, uh, I caught a movie called War of Currents. I highly suggest you check out that movie. It talked about um, Edison, Westinghouse, and Tesla. All three at the same time were coming up with technology to power the world, electricity. Okay? So um, it even more proved my point that all of these things that they are calling technology and new inventions are really just reintroducing to a new world population of old world technology that was used in the past. And in that particular movie, War of Currents, they talked about how um, they were going to have the World Fair, the Chicago World Fair, uh, what was it, 18, yeah, 1893, and how they had uh, Tesla, not Tesla, he wasn't in the running, Westinghouse and um, Edison, which Edison was bought out by General Electric GE, and it shows all of that in that movie. That's why I highly recommend it. They were competing uh, for, to, uh, they both submitted bids, to provide the electricity for the World Fair. Now, mind you, this same electricity that they're currently, quote, quote, building. So I want y'all to understand what I'm saying. The Chicago World Fair, which was huge, 
and the technology for electricity, they're trying to convince us that Edison and Westinghouse were bidding to provide that technology on a large scale, such as a world fair. Okay, so we're going to touch on the world fair in this as well, the Chicago World Fair, because I find that fascinating that not only is it a new technology, but the sure, the, but, but the, the sheer scale of the buildings that was built for that world fair, they're trying to convince us that they were temporary. That's just fascinating to me also. So we're going to get into this. Um, this is from the website teslaresearch.jimdofree.com, teslaresearch.jimdofree.com. Uh, very, very good work that he did with this, this entire site, which we're going to use for the source of our, the main source of our reference for this series. So this particular one is called Niagara Falls Power Project of 1888, The Perfect Partnership, George Westinghouse and Nikola Tesla, seeking to make long-distance electric power transmission a reality. They combine their skills their genius, and their beliefs in a new technology alternating current. Together they started a revolution that electrified the world, a perfect partnership. Sorry, I had to squinch out to see that. <laughs> see that little writing. Uh, George Westinghouse and Nikola Tesla seeking to make long-distance electric power transmission a reality. They combined their skill, their genius, and their belief in a new technology, alternating current. Together, they started a revolution that electrified the world, a perfect partnership. Okay, so he um, also put in here some videos that you can definitely um, flip to to see yourself. Um we're not going to go um, on that, so we're going to uh, kind of scroll down to where he gets to um, Niagara Falls. All right. Nope, that's not what I was looking for. I apologize. Back up, back up, Rhonda. Back up. Okay, it took me a while to scroll to get to the part um, where I was going to um, get to. All right, I'm going to have to skip around in this because he does get into a lot, a lot of other details that goes back to um, kind of the current wars and the stealing of his inventions, yada, yada, yada. So I'm not going to go into that. So you're going to see me skip around, but again, you can certainly go pull this information yourself. It's from teslaresearch.jimdofree.com. All right. So this is a picture of Niagara Falls. That The Niagara Falls is the result of a maraud, tons of water from time immemorial, crashing over solid limestone cliff 
with a force that reduces the limestone to boulders. The boulders to rubble, the rubble to silt, the unbated torrent seizes and carries off down the canyon. It has formed and shaped the eons in the same violent, patient manner. So they're trying to convince us that the water over eons, so meaning a long, 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 long time, that the water current falling over this limestone kind of created this phenomenon. Now, my antennas went up when it said limestone because I think about across the planet us being able to see these rock formations that they are calling happen over time. You see where it looks like those sites were actually excavated with heavy machinery, okay? We do know even today that limestone is absolutely a material that is mined, okay? We also know that after and during excavation of these natural resources, so granite, um, marble, etc., you always see some type of body of water next to the machinery or close or close to the machinery. Um, I'm assuming it's to cool off the machinery or in case something happens in order to put out fires or whatever. But my point being, you always see um, in some type of site where there is excavation going on, um, water, okay? And specifically after they are done excavating these sites, they have backfilled them with water, okay? And where I am getting this concept from is um, there are no forest. You can go on YouTube, look up that documentary, there are no forests. And things that they are calling uh, mountains, these different rock formations, are not so. What you are looking at is excavation, the remnants of excavation. Large-scale excavation has gone on on the planet. Um, Grand Canyon is one such example. If you pay attention to those rock formations, you can clearly see where that land was excavated, all right? Okay, so my antennas went up automatically when they said that this was solid limestone and that uh, this concave was developed over time based on the water overflowing on it. Mm, okay, then. The Niagara Falls Power Project came as a result of pure tech technological optimism in 1895 after many attempts and efforts of harnessing the power of the waterfall since the first pioneer sawmill had been built there in 1725. Mm. So it was a sawmill there in 1725. Mm. Go watch the documentary, There Are No Forests. 
But schemes for extracting power had never been adequately conceived. Five years before the startup of the first large-scale power project at the falls, the method of production and distribution of the power was still undecided. The huge project was to include transmission to Buffalo. Electricity, a novel technology at the time, was only once suggested. The other methods under consideration were pneumatic, hydraulic, and good old-fashioned mechanical. While still a student attending school in 1875, Australian, I'm sorry, Austrian Polytechnic in Gross, Austria, Nikola Tesla began to think about the possibilities of alternating current. In 1881, Tesla traveled to Budapest hoping to work for family friends. Tividar and Ferenc Puskas, an ambition promoter, Tividar previously convinced Thomas A. Edison to give him the commercial rights to introduce inventions developed by the Wizard of Menlo Park in continental Europe. So let me just pause real quick. I find it very, very interesting that Tesla so happened to be family friends with the dude who had connections to Edison. Really? Hmm. Which kind of proves my point that these folks were given the blueprints to this technology, that it wasn't something that they just invented out of thin air. The Paskas brothers were planning to construct a telephone exchange in Budapest using Edison's improved telephone design. Unfortunately, they were unable to hire anyone immediately. While waiting, Tesla fell seriously ill. He only recovered with the help of a college friend, Anthony Stischetti, who encouraged the sick man to walk each evening to help regain his strength. In February 1882, during one of these strolls with Stischetti, that Tesla had an epiphany about motors. Now check this out, y'all. As they admired the sunset, Tesla suddenly envisioned using a rotating magnetic field in his motor, a fundamental principle in physics, and the basis of nearly all devices that use alternating current. Tesla struggled for the next five years to acquire the practical knowledge he needed to realize his motor. Now, what sparked my interest again? He looked at a sunset. And he started thinking about a rotating magnetic field. I find that interesting because even today, 99% of the population believe that the sun is a gas ball that is millions of miles away versus being an enclosed energy that uses magnetism. I find that fascinating. But I'll continue. Maybe that's just my antennas going up. Tesla struggled. Okay, so he struggled for the next five years. Since his childhood, Tesla himself had dreamed of harnessing 
the power of the great natural wonder. In his autobiography, My Inventions, he told, in the schoolroom, there were a few mechanical models which interest me and turn my attention to water turbines. Hmm. After hearing a description of the great Niagara Falls, I picture in my imagination a big wheel run by the falls. He proclaimed to his uncle that one day he would go to America to carry out this scheme. Hmm. Okay. That story sounds kind of staged to me. Um, it just sounds really staged to me. The working principle of his idea is a magnetic field which rotates in polarity at non-relative speeds. This is the key principle to the operation of alternate, alternating current motor. A permanent magnet in such a field will rotate so as to maintain its alignment with the external field. This effect is utilized in alternating current electric motors. Synchronous motors and induction motors use a uh, stator's rotating magnetic field to turn the ro rotor. rotors. He already, through uh, about a multi-phase voltage system while studying in Graz, Austria in 1882. I guess they're trying to say he had already um, invented. While on assignment to Strasbourg, France, uh, then a part of Germany, on 1883, Tesla constructs a working brushless polyphase AC induction motor to offer his invention to a German, German company. It is demonstrated before the former mayor of the town to a, uh, and to wealthy potential investors. Unfortunately, Tesla is unable to secure the financing. The mayor brought, okay, so this is a quote from a book, Prodigal Genius by O'Neill. The mayor brought together a number of wealthy Strasburgers. To them, the new motor was shown in operation and the new system and its possibilities described both by Tesla and the mayor. The, demonstrators, the demonstration was a success from the technical viewpoint, but otherwise a total loss. Not one member of the group showed the slightest interest. It was beyond his comprehension that the greatest invention in electrical science with unlimited commercial possibilities should be rejected completely. Okay, so um, in this, I'm, this is some of the part that I'm going to skip over. Chow, sorry, because if the other file hadn't gotten interrupted, you all would have got this. Um, but I'm just going to high-level give it to you um, in these next few sections. He's going to talk about how he worked for um, the Edison Electric Light in France and how um, he was basically trying to bring up his um, magnetic motor. They weren't interested. Um and then he kind of went to the States. And he again went to work for Edison. And um, this part I do want to read you all that uh, 
the, the amount of work that he did and how he was messed over. Uh, to this 28-year-old enthusiastic expert, Edison gave a very deli- delicate job of redesigning an improvement of um, dynamo machine produced in his factories for the ever-increasing market of these devices. Edison also became impressed with him after he successfully performed a number of challenging assignments. The direct current electrification era had begun in the first place with the great towns such as New York. But when Tesla asked Edison to let him undertake research on AC, in particular on his concept of an AC motor, Edison rejected the idea. Okay, so this is a reincurring theme as Edison is trying to bring up this about his uh, invention of the electric uh, motor um, using alternate current. Nobody's interested. So it appears to me that the controllers didn't want this technology introduced at the time. Okay, so I'm pretty sure that Edison went to the people that are financing him and talked about his idea or maybe do from the French branch of Edison, I already peeped game to him, to Edison um, of Tesla's invention, and they were already told that they could not move forward by who the true financiers of their particular projects were uh, because the financiers answer to the ultimate hidden controllers, okay? Those same hidden controllers who determine what technology would be released when. Hence this series, Old World Technology, Hidden in Plain Sight. Okay? Not only was an Edison interested in motors, he refused to have anything to do with the rival current. All right? Um, So Tesla had expected that Edison, being such a great inventor, would perfectly understand and accept the concept of development of alternative, alternate current device, devices and systems as a more convenient solution for production, transmission, distribution, and use of electric energy. So for the time being, Tesla threw himself into the work of DC. He told Edison he thought he could substantially improve the DC Dynamo. Edison told him if he could, it would earn him a $50,000 bonus. This would have enabled Tesla to set up a laboratory of his own where he could have pursued his AC interests. By dint of extremely long hours and diligent effort, his regular hours from 10 a.m. to 5 a.m. of the next day. Child, that's a hard worker. He came up with a set of 24 designs for new equipment, which would eventually be used to replace Edison's present equipment. But he never found the promised $50,000 in his pay envelope. When he asked Edison about this matter, Edison told him he had been joking. You don't understand America humor. He said, in that moment, he was deeply disappointed, and for that reason, he left Edison's company after less than one year. Tesla only worked there for about six months, and he met Edison maybe twice. 
Tesla claim in his autobiography, My Inventions, the following regarding his time at the Machine Works in New York. For nearly a year, my regular hours were from 10 a.m. to 5 o'clock the next morning without a day's exception. Edison said to me, I have had my hard-working assistants, but you take the cake. During this period, I designed 20, 24 different types of standard machines with short cores and a uniform pattern, which replaced the old ones. The manager had promised me $50,000 on the completion of this task, but it turned out to be a practical joke. This gave me a painful shock, and I resigned for uh, resigned my position. So I think that, again, someone tapped someone on the shoulder. They asked, what, what is Tesla up to? So the real controlling powers, the hidden controlling powers that not only finance these efforts, you'll never be able to connect them directly to financing the efforts because they hire the Rockefellers and the J.P. Morgans, etc. They hire them to run these businesses and they finance them to run these businesses and therefore they call the shots. Okay? I talked about this in extensive detail in the particular podcast I did on Is Amazon an Oligarchy? I believe that they were told, do not give Tesla that $50,000 because he can stand the lab up on his own. And they did not want Tesla releasing that old world technology, which went into free energy, um, harnessing energy from Earth's natural magnetic field, wireless technology, etc. In other words, that old world technology. They did not want that re-released. Right? So that's why Tesla got so much resistance. It wasn't because folks did not understand it, because clearly Edison understood what he was talking about. Clearly Westinghouse understood what he was talking about. But they were told, no, do not use that technology, use this. So some of Tesla's inventions, uh, the hard-hitting, wide-scale stuff, it never came to fruition, but just little tiny pieces of it were used, okay? So fast, uh, fast uh, forward to today, now they're starting to introduce Things like electric cars, which all of that stuff is old. Even the concept of wireless technology, what we just got that, what over the last 20 years? Well, this man in the 1800s, he had introduced the concept, right? And his concept was still ahead of what they have put out today because he was using. Um, the magnetic field, the natural magnetic field. All right. Um, so, saying Tesla assumed that his arc lighting system would be valuable to the Edison organization and that he would handle 
he would handsomely rewarded he would be handsomely rewarded for his work however when that didn't happen tesla quit in disgust and found new backers in rahway new jersey to help him to patent and build his own arc lighting system however once the rahway businessmen had a lighting system up and running they fired tesla Destitute, Tesla returned to New York to dig ditches for $2 a day. Okay, so once again, he created some technology and was pretty much ripped off. Fortunately, Tesla helped dig ditches for the installation of cables connecting the headquarters of the Western Union Telegraph Company with stock and commodity exchanges and he came to the attention of Alfred S. Brown, who was supervising the work. Brown took a liking to Tesla and introduced him to Charles Peck, a lawyer who had just made a fortune by forcing Jay Gould to buy his mutual union telegraph company. Um, applies his first patent communicator, I'm sorry, commutator, commutator, for dy uh, dynamo electric machines, followed by patents on the arc lamps regulators. Okay, so he basically ran into a dude that um, showed him how to patent his inventions. So um, these are the things that he patented, the uh, dynamo electric machine, the electric arc lamp, and um, he said he applied for patents on arc lamp regulators and he registered his Tesla arc light company. Okay, with an aim of implementing his invention in the field of polyphase alternating current. Looking for a new high tech venture, Peck and Brown decided to back Tesla in 1886. And in April 1887, backed by a number of financiers and technicians, Tesla established Tesla Electric Company. Okay, so this is um, this part right here I found highly interesting. Um, let me read this paragraph and then we'll get into this. In the newly erected laboratory, Tesla constructed and demonstrated his first polyphase induction motor and generators, but success was not easily achieved as his ideas to promote AC alternating current was difficult to finance. And by other hands, his investors weren't really interested in the development of the AC technology because its future application was still unknown and they weren't interested just about Tesla's electric arc lamp. So once again, ignoring the big bang of his invention, which is really that old world technology that was cleaner and that harnessed the natural um, <clears throat> Earth's energy. <clears throat> they just took a snippet. They were only interested in a snippet, which was the arc lamp. His design was successful, but all the money went to investors. Tesla was soon looking for an opportunity or for another opportunity. Okay. So once again, he is study going from place to place to place. He's inventing this revolutionary stuff, but somehow that's not picked up. They only pick up 
the little pieces. Again, someone behind the scenes was saying, no, you cannot use his technology. Okay. So New York City, May 18, 1917. I realized I would not have produced anything without the scientific training I got. And it is a question whether my surmise as to my possible accomplishments was correct. So this sparked my interest, family, because I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That's how all of these guys, Edison, Westinghouse, Tesla, they were all trained in the different sciences, but these sciences were old world technology. So obviously Tesla's particular training that he got was of that um, original old world science of using the natural energy of the planet, okay, using the vibrations, the frequency, uh, the magnetism. That's the training, obviously, that Tesla got, okay? And they were able to get that training because that technology had been used for thousands of years, for thousands of years, okay? So something happened in between the time that Tesla and crew um, were getting trained and the world was not using this technology, i.e. what the mud flood community calls a reset. So meaning during the old world, all of that great technology was used. Something happened where the world was separated from this technology. So Tesla and crew, Edison and crew, they did not grow up with this technology, but they were taught this technology in school. Okay? Which leads me to believe that they are connected to some powerful families. And they were selected to get this particular training to start introducing this old world technology. But not all of it. Only the pieces of the old world technology that the controllers wanted introduced. In Edison's work, I passed nearly a year of the most strenuous labor, and then certain capitalists approached me with the project to form my own company. I went into proposition and developed the arc light to show you how prejudiced people were against the AC. As the president had indicated, when I told those friends of mine that I did a great invention related to the alternated current transmission, they said, no, we want the arc lamp. So again, rejecting the AC technology and all the applications that it can be used for, they just wanted a lamp out the deal. We do not care for this alternating current. Finally, I protect, uh, perfected my lighting system and the city adopted it. Then I succeeded in organizing another company in uh, 1886 and a laboratory was put up 
where I rapidly developed these motors and eventually the Westinghouse people approached us and an arrangement was made for their uh, introduction. You know what happened since then? The, the invention has swept the world. Okay, so um, here they're going to go into, which I found this fascinating family. I'm not going to go over it here. But those of you that are car connoisseurs, you can certainly go over this because it talks about the Italian inventor, uh, Galileo Ferraris, which is really the Ferrari people, honey. How they were teetering with... Um, that Tesla AC motor as well, and how they pretty much, pretty much blood kind of took Tesla's invention, but it was at such a scaled down level. Now, I don't know if he scaled it down on purpose. He was told to scale it down, or he scaled it down because he did not know how to truly harness the uh, total power of what Tesla had built. So it, uh, all of this, I thought that was fascinating. I did not know that about uh, Ferrari uh, going back that far and teetering with AC. And they actually had an a AC uh, motor uh, in place, or they call it induction motor. Okay, um, so here they show uh, Ferrari's induction motor. Okay, um, here are rendering drawings of a Ferrari induction motor, and then you see Tesla's induction motor. So you can see the difference between the two, uh, but this circle thing in the middle, that's the magnet, and you see how it's floating. Okay, but you see how bigger Tesla's is, and you see how in Tesla's, he has the circle around it um, and I'm assuming these coils around it, I'm only assuming now that that's copper. Um, and then you see his circle, uh, the magnet is bigger also with the copper around it, which probably made this more powerful because I'm assuming that the circle is not breaking up the current. Now, child, that's just my uh, lowly opinion. That don't mean... That's the way it is, honey. I could be all the <laughs> way off the <laughs> off the mark. Okay, so here they're just showing you uh, Tesla's motor, his induction motor. Okay, an electric motor family, and and it's 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 an electric motor. We're talking in eighteen eighty four. All right, and here we are in twenty twenty one. And they're just starting to introduce um, electric cars, but they're doing it through a battery. Okay, now if they are using induction motors, please forgive me up in advance. But I think right now they're using a battery. Okay, I don't know if it's a battery with the combination of an induction motor. I don't know that for sure. Okay. But the point being that the idea of an electric car, this is not the first go around. Which I don't even think back in 1884, it was the first go around. Okay, Something happened where this technology was hidden or there was some sort of reset 
that put the planet in the dark ages, quote, quote, the dark ages, where stuff was horse and buggy. And then around the late 1800s, they, quote, quote, started to come up with all of these inventions. All right. Um, so I'm not going to go through the electric motor review. You can certainly do that. Um, here they're just going to talk about uh, the comparisons between what Ferrari did and um, Tesla's stuff. Uh, you can certainly go through this detail yourself. Um, again, this site is teslaresearch.jimadufree.com. I think he's doing an excellent job, absolutely excellent job, uh, going through everything in detail and showing the applicable pictures. Okay, so I'm trying to get to the Niagara Falls stuff, but just to show you how much detail he goes into, he gives you the entire breakdown history um, and the applicable technology with everything. Okay, so I think this is where I needed to be. This is where I needed to be. All right, so in 1889, the Westinghouse Electric Company renames, renames itself as the Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing Company. By the same year, the Niagara Falls Company made financing arrangements with a banking group that comprised of who? J.P. Morgan. Now, remember when I was telling you all that these, these big financial folk and these heads of industry, they were financed by someone else. They're not, these gentlemen are not the big daddies. It was a bigger daddy that were funding them. So you can check out, and I will leave um, that particular link. I'll put a link in the information section at the end of the video to the uh, podcast that I did on Is Amazon an Oligarchy? I went into detail all of the industries in America who they were really funded by. Okay, the J.P. Morgan was no different. He was hired. That particular banking industry family was hired. All right, so uh, J.P. Morgan. So these are the money men that financed J.P. Morgan, Brown Brothers, Winslow, and Lanier and Company. Before Winslow, Lanier agreed to participate. It had sent a partner, Edward Dean Adams, to investigate Niagara Falls Power Company a descendant of the uh, Schultzkoff firm formed the Cataract Company headed by Edward Dean Adams with the intent of expanding Niagara Falls power capacity. Tesla left the Westinghouse plant in the fall of 1889, and he had immediately turned to the next phase of his development of the alternating current field, a new system of distributing energy by the means of high-frequency alternating current, which would be a far more magnificent discovery than his polyphase system. Within the next two years, he had explored the principles by which energy could be distributed broadcast without the use of wires. Okay, so wireless technology. And these 
he had demonstrated with powerful coils in his laboratory. Those are called the Tesla Towers family. The distribution of intelligence, later called wireless, was but a single phase of his worldwide system. So y'all get that? I know we talked about that in uh, part one of this series, that literally this man had invented wireless technology family back in 1889 using wireless towers. And here the world was just introduced to wireless technology, what, 20 years ago? And they're, they're not saying that they're still using it by high frequencies. Okay? On, 1890, uh, on 1890, Adams became the president of the Cataract Construction, and he soon left for Europe, supposedly not to find financing, but to attain technological information. He called Rothschild... That's another one that was hired. Rothschild is not the big daddy. They were hired in London to explain the plans for the utilization of Niagara Falls and the British banker recommended engineers. And then Adams recalled the bankers asked, I suppose you are not ready with your financial plans. Yes, replayed the President Adams. They had been adopted to a preliminary extent. All previous efforts to utilize Niagara's power in an important way have been failures. But we believe that science has so advanced that with its skillful, skillful use, it soon may be possible to harness Niagara upon commercial basis. Adams told to Rothschild, we have not come for money, but for advice. We wish to begin by investing in counsel of your scientists and engineers. So, again, Rothschild, you think of money. That's the money man. So you mean to tell me Adams went to Rothschild, the money man, to get to his scientists and engineers? to get their advice on what technology to use and how to implement Niagara Power, uh, um, the, the Niagara Falls situation. It wasn't about the money. It was about the advice from these scientists. So to me, that's just to me, my antennas went up saying, oh, wait a minute, so you mean to tell me that you had to ultimately get permission on what technology you all could use, okay? Because ultimately, these money men or these power brokers, they report up to a higher force, and that higher force reports up to the ultimate hidden hand, and the hidden hand makes the decision on what technology will be released to the public. Lord Rothschild found this request from an American rare, and according to Adams, made an initial subscription 
uh, five. I don't know, y'all, if that's pounds, lira. I don't know, y'all. I want to say it's pounds as a result of the interview. But, in fact, nothing was rare, and the president was just opening the way for foreign capital. A flood destroyed the Will Williamette Falls, D.C. power station. Mm, okay. A flood destroyed it. A flood destroyed it. Mm, okay. This unfortunate event paved the way for the, long, the first long-distance transmission of AC electricity in the world when Williamette Falls Electric Company installed experimental AC generators from Westinghouse in 1890. That same year, the Niagara Falls Power Company and its subsidiary Cataract Company formed the International Niagara Commission composed of experts to analyze proposals to harness Niagara Falls to generate electricity. The commission was led by Sir William Thompson, later Lord Kelvin, and included Electra Mascart from France, William Unwin from England, Coleman Sellers from the U.S., and Theodore Terrettini from Switzerland. It was backed by entrepreneurs such as J.P. Morgan, Lord Rothschild, and John Jacob Astor. When you all, I encourage you all to go listen to the podcast. Um, is Amazon an old oligarchy? Yes, it's long, but I went into detail. All of these industries, who really owns those industries? And how these players came into play. Fascinating stuff. So this, this seeing these these names on here, family, as the um, financiers, doesn't surprise me one bit. Among nineteen proposals, they even briefly considered compressed air as a power transmission medium but preferred electricity. Now, we're going to go at the very end of this podcast because I went to try to find some old videos from like mm, three, four years ago. Even the ones I saved were taken down. When it was just a couple people, I want to say it was only three people that were saying that they felt that um, jets... Today, that jets are really being powered more by com compressed air than by jet fuel. And I went to try to find those videos, and they are gone. The ones that they have out there now are just, the people are not even qualified to be, they're not qualified to even be speaking of them. Um, it's unfortunate that, the ones that were up there really had some good information. Uh, one dude even demonstrated. He reconstructed and built a compressed air engine. And he showed you how um, the initial burn-off, they put just enough jet fuel as burn-off, and then the rest is compressed air. And child, all them videos are gone. Okay, but how things work out, I did find something 
on the next step that they're taking and testing. So we'll go over that at the end. So I found that interesting that back in the late 1800s, they were talking about that they were considering uh, among 19 proposals, they briefly considered compressed air. Mm -hmm. But guess what win? One like it always seems to win. Electricity. Anyway, they could not decide which method would be best overall. Um, in 1819, well, they preferred electricity because we'll, we'll continue a little bit. In 1890, uh, George Westinghouse recommended that the best way to transport Niagara Falls power to Buffalo would be by compressed air, compressed air or water mains or steel cables on posts and pulleys the 22-mile distance from Niagara Falls to Buffalo. Westinghouse was likely to know. As the inventor of the air brakes, he was the acknowledged expert on pneumatic systems. And of late, he had turned his attention to electricity. In 1886, he had organized the Westinghouse Electric Company. By 1890, the company was operating 300 central generating stations. When Nikola Tesla invented the three-phase system of um, alternating current power transmission, distant transfer of electricity became possible as Westinghouse and Tesla had built the AC power, Ames Hydroelectric Generating Plant in Tularide in 1890, improved its effective transmitting electricity to 2.6 miles by using a motor-driven stamp mill at the Gold King Mine. It begun operation in 1891. Okay. Okay, so this is a picture of the interior of the Western Colorado Power Company's old Ames uh, plant scene okay, in 1891. So I'm assuming... That's the AC current generator right there. Edison's DC distribution system consisted of generating plants feeding heavy distribution conductors to customer loads, primarily lighting and motors. The system operated at the same voltage level throughout. For example, 100 volt lamps at the customer's location would be connected to a generator supplying 110 volts. The margin allowed for some voltage drops in the wires between the generator and load. The voltage level was chosen for convenience in lamp manufacturer. High-resistant carbon filament lamps could be constructed to withstand 100 volts and to provide lightning performance economically competitive with gas lighting. At the time, it was felt that the 100 volts was not likely to present a severe Hazard of fatal electric shock. Okay, so I'm trying to see. I'm not going to go through all of this uh, technical stuff, fam. Um, oh, and in that movie, um, The War of Current, Chow, they talked about who invented the first electric chair Chow, y'all, when you get a chance, check out that movie. Uh, this was sparked 
what reminded me down there when they talked about um, about presided over several AC-driven killings of animals, da-da-da-da-da. But that's how it started. The idea came to play about um, the electric chair because they was testing how harm um, an AC current would be. And so they were testing on animals. And then somebody approached, um, was it uh, Westinghouse? Westinghouse to pretty much make it as a form of uh, execution because they were saying how they were doing it by hanging is really cruel and inhumane, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was really interesting. Check it out, fam. Uh, it's called The Wars of the, the Current. All right? They, they even have in there how the uh, electric chair came into being. All right, so um, I'm not going to go through the rest of this. You can definitely do it yourself. Um, it just shows the different uh, prototypes of the induction motor. Um, okay, I think that's all we're going to get from this. Um, let me see how much of this. Okay. In 1893, Tesla already patented different types of his um, alternating current electromagnetic motors and generators, but also different methods and systems of electrical power transmissions and used them to light the world. Columbian Exposition in Chicago in that same year. Tesla and Westinghouse were already involved in the design and installation of generators of the polyphase type. The contract came as a result of the competition spearheaded by the International Niagara Falls Commission with cash prizes totaling $20,000 for the best plan for harnessing the falls. The work of the Niagara Falls Power Project Company demanded from his technical advisor skill visions and judgments of a high order. Fortunately, the management of the company was eminently wise and far-sighted, and under its direction, the minds of the selected group of the able scientists in America and Europe were brought to bear upon the problem of utilizing the power of the Great Falls. From Europe came Lord Kelvin. Okay, we talked about them. Um, Muscart, Terrettini, on Wynn and Forbes. From America came Sellers, Herschel, and Rowland. Plans and suggestions were obtained also from many other at home and abroad. The commission charged with planning the power project had solicited proposals from experts around the world only to reject them all. The schemes ranged from a system using pneumatic pressure to one requiring ropes, springs, and pulleys, and there were proposals to transmit DC electricity, one endorsed by Edison, with more than a few parties claiming the rights to various parts of the um, alternating current system. There was backstabbing and counterclaims and more than a little industrial theft of ideas. 
Tesla advising Adams that a two-phase system would be the most reliable and that there was a Westinghouse system to light incandescent bulbs using two-phase AC. At the head of the commission was Lord Kelvin, the famous British physicist who had been as opposed to alternating current as Edison until he attended the Chicago Exposition in 1893. Now a strong convert to AC, Kelvin and his commission asked Westinghouse to use the alternating current harness, uh, the power of the falls. In the end, it was Tesla's patent that won the day. The Westinghouse company was chosen to provide the powerhouse and alternating current system, while General Electric Company was awarded construction of the transmission lines. So in that movie, The Current Wars, they go over um, how um, Edison and Westinghouse were bidding for um, the contract to provide the electricity for the Chicago World uh, Fair. Edward Dean Adams made the statement with regards to Westinghouse's AC research relative to the development of Niagara power. The issuing of the Tesla polyphase patents in May 1888 was followed a year later by the organization of the Cataract Construction Company and its affiliate, the Niagara Falls Power Company, which undertook the investigation of methods of developing Niagara power. Niagara plans and alternative um, alternating current machinery developed simultaneously, and in less than a decade, they mutually contributed to the inauguration of the modern hydroelectric power service. Okay. All right. So there you see a plaque, um, the Niagara Falls Power and Company. All right. And all of Tesla's patents are listed. Okay, so I'm not going to go through the rest of this. Uh, you can certainly uh, do it yourself. You can get this again at teslaresearch.jim.dofree.com. He did an excellent job. Um, as you can see in this picture, it says, Laboratory where Tesla and Westinghouse engineers develop apparatus for AC system. The exhibit shows Egg of Columbus, which stood at the end of the table, it rested on, was a magnetically excited by the AC. Another smaller table with, with ball can be seen to the left, to the uh, right, an early high-frequency machine. Okay, so I'm guessing this is the early high-frequency machine can't see the one they're talking about with the ball. Okay, so family, this is the picture of the Columbian Exposition 1893 Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing Company, a Tesla polyphase system. So, child, here go Tesla system, honey. Wow, y'all, they had um, a booth. A booth for it. They actually had the machine there. And then y'all see GE, because uh, GE bought up Edison, y'all. And it's in that movie, uh, The Current Wars. Okay? 
So this leads us perfectly into the Chicago World Fair. The, the World Columbian Exposition was the World's Fair commemorating 400 years since Christopher Columbus set foot in the New World. Located on Lake Michigan to facilitate access by sea, road, and rail, it was gathering it was a gathering of ideas, men, and technologies from every quarter of the globe, with each country contributing its best of their industrial, culture, commercial, and educational um, enterprises. The Renaissance style of the exposition buildings was unsurpassed by its um, agricultural beauty. The exposition itself was a work of art. It was a brilliant spectacle of science, art, and industry. All the world has its pilgrimage to the Columbian um, Exposition of 1893. Okay, so let's jump over, family. Um, just real quick. This is from projects.leadr.msu.edge. I'm sorry, dot edu so projects.leadr.msu.edu and um this is the chicago world's fair and um we talked about we're not going to go over there talking about claiming that this was com com a commemoration of christopher columbus mm -hmm. so um one of those concepts was the widespread use of electric power dubbed as the illuminated city. This exhibit displayed the uh, technological leap society would make with the usage of electric power. As much of the world still relied on alternative sources of light such as daylight candles and gas, oil, or lighting. And I am side-eyeing this. Something happened between the time they had folks just using daylight and using gas lamps or oil lamps. Something happened where technology was not being used. Okay. All right. So uh, we know all about that, about them uh, GE and Westinghouse bidding against each other. For the contract to light the fair on may 1st 1893 president grover cleveland pushed a button that lit nearly 100,000 incandescent lamps illuminating the city demonstrating how electricity will forever change the nation making it re readily available everywhere um okay i lost my place because i looked down <laughs> Um, the electricity building was devoted by the World's Fair to display the new industry exhibits and inventions. These exhibits included switchboards, transformers, transformers, Morse code telegraphs, and many other related devices. So as y'all can see, they show invented a lot of stuff, fam. Okay, so here they're just showing you some pictures. 
of uh, the World's Fair. So that we're going to get into some pictures, fam. Let's get into some pictures of the Chicago World Fair. Because that just blows my mind, family, that they're trying to tell us that these were temporarily built structures. Okay, so let me blow this picture up for you all. They're trying to tell us that they built this stuff just for this World Fair and that they were going to uh, tear it down. That's what they're trying to convince us versus that this stuff was already there, okay? That this is old world stuff. Okay, this is another view of that same uh, picture. That's what they're trying to convince us, fam. You see this scale? They're trying to convince us that people that were using gas, lights, horse, and buggies, they were able to build all of this for a temporary world fair. Oh, okay then. So Chicagoans, you all, some of those buildings that you see um, on Lakeshore Drive and the Chicago River, that those old world buildings were a part of the world fair. Now, I know for a fact that the building um, called um, the Science of um, Technology on the east side, the Museum of Science and Technology, um, that particular building was from the World Fair. So... How's that temporarily? How's that, temp how's that a temporary building? I've personally been at that building many, many times. Many, 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 many times as a little girl. And I can tell you, it is far from a temporary structure. Okay. I also believe that um, Soldier Field and uh, Shed Aquarium and the building right next to Shed Aquarium, y'all know what I'm talking about, that kind of sits in the back. Um, they call it the agricultural something of the other. I believe those were also a part of the World Fair also, fam. Okay. All right, so we also, trying to see what else so I can show y'all. Okay, we see those particular views. Um, oh, this one, y'all should be familiar with. If I'm not mistaken, y'all, this is Navy Pier. This building still stands, fam. Yeah, that Navy Pier building, this still stands, fam. Still stands. Now, I can't remember, y'all, if they uh, still have the Ferris wheel. Because at one point, they had taken the Ferris wheel down in Chicago. I think they put it back up. I'm not sure if it's still there. But that Ferris wheel was also a part of the um, World Fair as well. You Chicagoans, if you, any, it, the people that live in Chicago, if you're visiting Chicago, 
I highly encourage you to take the river tour. Get the long one, y'all. Don't be cheap. It is worth every dime. Not to mention, it is absolutely breathtaking. You're going to ride along the Chicago River, those big buildings, and uh, they're going to give you this narrative story and just think of wah, 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 wah. Most of those buildings, those old, old world looking structures were what they're calling a part of the world fair. Some of them they may admit are a part of the world fair, but bottom line, even if they were a part of the world fair family, those are old world buildings that had been standing for a while. Okay. And also those in Chi-Town, y'all remember, I don't even know what they're using. Remember the main post office building that they ran the expressway under? Y'all know how huge that doggone post office building is. That's old world stuff, fam. That's old world. Okay. So right here. Here's another building. They're trying to convince us that this stuff was temporarily. Temporary, really? They can't even build stuff like this today. They can't recreate this stuff. Okay, so yeah, that's the Ferris wheel. Okay. Just here's another view. They're trying to convince us that all this stuff was built temporarily. It just no. This is oh that's this is old world stuff, fam. Okay. Right here, that's showing you uh, the buildings being lit up with electricity. And then this last one here, I'm gonna show. Um, this is called the manufacturing building. So they're gonna try to convince me that this was temporarily this was temporary also, right? That's what you want to try to convince me of. No, fam, this is old world. This stuff was already standing for hundreds of years. Okay? And I'm saying a minimum of a hundreds of years. Okay, so you can go look that stuff up yourself, fam. Um, I do want to play this clip. Uh, so again, look at that grand scale. But this is temporary. Let them tell it. They're trying to convince us in 1893 that they just took a couple years to build this stuff up. Oh, okay then. All right, so I want to play this clip. Let me play this clip. Uh, Y'all see what channel it's from. Child, they probably going to hit me with a nasty gram on this one. But I want to play this. This is from the movie Meet Me in St. Louis, The World's Fair. Let me play this for you, fam. Ah! 
Sugar. You'll spoil your dinner. After we saw the Galavitan flood, big waves came up and flooded the whole city. And when the water went back, it was all muddy and horrible. Full of dead bodies. Oh, oh Okay, let me back it up. What that baby said. Let me back it up. What that baby said. You'll spoil your dinner. After we saw the Galavitan flood, big waves came up and flooded the whole city. And when the water went back, it was all muddy and horrible. Full of dead bodies. Oh, I'm just going to rewind that what that baby said. What happened? The water's flooded and what? Let me just back up what this baby said. You'll spoil your dinner. After we saw the Galavitan flood, big waves came up and flooded the whole city. And when the water went back, it was all muddy and horrible. Full of dead bodies. That directly backs up what the mud flood community was saying, family. When they said that a reset happened, where there was a major flood. What did the baby say? That the waters rushed? And then when the water went back or the water receded, it was a bunch of uh, mud and dead bodies. Hence, the mud flood community. And so that particular community said that they brought in orphans, small children, put them to work, to dig out the mud, and that's when these old structures were discovered, okay? So that's why I am saying that this technology that they are giving you at this World Fair, that was the pre-civilization before a reset, a.k.a. mud flood. So let's listen to the rest of this. Isn't it breathtaking, John? I never dreamed anything could be so beautiful. I liked it better when it was a swamp. There was just the two of us. <laughs> Esther! John! Oh! Hurry up, you two. We're starving. Let's get started. Where is the French restaurant? It's over there. Oh, no, it's across from Machinery Hall. No, no, no. Now, 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 let's not lose our heads. I know exactly where it is. Just follow me. Okay, so just real quick, you saw them uh, show this um, World Fair, the lights being lit up, and just this last part. Own hometown. Grandpa, they'll never tear it down, will they? Well, they better not. So again, 
how did they go from building these structures just for a world fair to tear it down? Um, so again, that was from the uh, just a clip, a snippet from Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, shout out, it was another woman. Um, she does a lot of mud flood stuff. I can't think of her name right now. She was the first person that I saw um, play that clip. So shout out to her. Please forgive me. I cannot remember your name at the time. Uh, but you can catch this clip off of this particular YouTube channel. And it's Meet Me in St. Louis, the World's Fair. Okay, family? So the last thing I'm going to talk about, uh, I got to take a quick pause. I'm going to come back and we're going to round up with the new technology that I ran across that they're currently testing. Okay. Okay. So finally, um, I wanted to go over with you all, um, as I was looking for the videos for um, jets, airline jets using the technology exclusively of compressed air, which can't find those videos anymore, I ran across this particular video. Um, so I wanted to share this with you all. This is from a YouTube channel called Vision. Um, what are electric plasma jet engines okay so this is something that they're currently testing and again note using plasma technology okay which I say this is not new technology anybody that's read any of those ancient uh, tablets they talk about the use of uh, plasma energy um, they also talked about um, do uh, direct energy weapon, which we talked about that in part one of this series. So I found this interesting that this is new technology that they are using. So we're going to give this a listen to. Um, this is for educational purposes. It's from the YouTube channel Visions. So let's give it a play, family. Imagine a shiny modern airliner crisscrossing the globe powered exclusively by clean electricity and fresh air. That's the grand vision of a new generation of jet thrusters making big noise in engineering labs around the world. But is this technology the solution to runaway climate change and fossil fuel dependency or just a load of hot air? Join us today as we take a metaphorical test flight with the electric plasma jet engine. Before we get stuck into the nitty gritty of electric plasma jet engines, they truly are just as exciting as the name implies, let's look at how conventional jet engines actually work. Jet fuel, which is usually a kerosene-based petroleum mixture, gets mixed up with compressed air and ignited. This resulting gas heats rapidly, which in turn expands with explosive force. This force is then harnessed to power fans or blasted directly out of the back engine, demonstrating classic jet thrust. Electric plasma jet engines, on the other hand, forego any smelly toxic hydrocarbons. Instead, they generate that crucial propulsive expansion of gas with the help of hot plasma. Plasma, since you ask, is just 
just another state of matter like solid, liquid or gas. Plasma occurs under quite specific circumstances, like at the burning heart of a star or in the air surrounding highly charged phenomena such as lightning bolts. If plasma can be artificially superheated, the theory goes, an engine powered by its expansion could generate enough thrust to fly an aircraft. This essential premise has been experimentally explored by labs in the US and Berlin, but the most promising recent breakthrough happened in, of all places, Wuhan, China. Professor Zhao Tang, a polymath who has worked at Caltech and Bell Labs across various fields from nanotechnology to artificial photosynthesis, was investigating the use of microwaves in synthetic diamond production. In a moment of inspiration, Tang wondered whether a similar technology could be used to generate thrust. To this end, he and his team at the Institute of Technological Sciences at Wuhan University developed a device which ionizes compressed air by running it past electrodes, then forcing it along a specially designed quartz tube. This produces, for starters, a low-temperature plasma. Here comes the clever bit. The tube containing this plasma intersects with a waveguide. That waveguide, a pipe essentially, is carrying magnetron-generated microwaves. That pipe ingeniously gets narrower as it approaches the quartz tube, so the microwaves meet the low-temperature plasma at the narrowest point at their greatest intensity. When that happens, the focused microwaves caused charged particles in the plasma to oscillate wildly, releasing energy and a quite dazzling 1,000 degrees Celsius of heat. This in turn creates... Ta-da! That all-important thrust. Although still in its early stages of development, Tang is optimistic that within a couple of years, his newfangled device might be ready to power drones before hopefully progressing to manned aircraft. So, can we stop drilling for oil already? Not quite yet. One fundamental drawback Tang and his team have yet to overcome is that positively Hadean 1,000-degree burn temperature, which is far too hot for any aviation-grade engine housing to endure, not without substantial and probably quite deadly so-called plasma erosion. There's also the not insubstantial question of scale. Under laboratory conditions, Tang's microwave-powered thruster was able to lift a rattly one-kilogram steel ball over a 24-millimeter diameter tube. In terms of simple force, this could, hypothetically, be directly scaled up to power a usable jet engine. But the airflows would need to be scaled up by a factor of about 15,000. In the world of engineering, what works on a small scale rarely, if ever, works on the grand dimensions of a commercial jet airliner. More intractable than any of those minor gripes, however, is the snag of how to electrically power the device in flight without access to the power grid. Conventional jet fuel, for all its many failings, carries far more energy than batteries can manage at the same weight. As much as 43 times more energy indeed. And weight is a huge deal when you need to get airborne. Tang's experiment created about 28 newtons of thrust per kilowatt of power. The engines on the Airbus A320, for perspective, produce about 220,000 newtons of thrust. That means any comparably roomy aircraft powered by Tang jets would burn more energy than 7,800 kilowatts of juice. Let's say we're using currently available battery technology. You'd need some 570 Tesla Powerwall 2 units for just one hour's flight, which isn't very helpful anyway, considering an Airbus A320 can only carry about a third of that many Powerwalls as payload. Tang, like other researchers in the plasma jet field, is waiting on improvements in batteries or compact fusion nuclear reactors to get their brainchild onto the runway. Incidentally, the idea of using small conventional nuclear fission reactors, such as Russian KLT-40s, has been mooted. 
Although the problem of how to radioactively shield passengers, not to mention the catastrophic cost of any crash, makes this plan, shall we say, unlikely. Oh, and even if enough power could be harnessed on a plane, analysts reckon the cabling required to carry all that juice to the plasma engines would be prohibitively heavy, using current technology anyway. Despite lofty claims from the Wuhan team, many analysts believe the technology is inherently flawed, potentially even if the power issues are solved. Steve Barrett, an MIT professor of aerospace engineering, was positively scathing when asked to comment on the research on Twitter last summer. This is wrong in terms of the physics and measurements, he thundered after reading about the Wuhan team's steel ball experiment. What they've essentially done is like heating a stovetop pressure cooker until the valve rattles and called the result thrust. But pressure cookers don't fly. He went on to suggest that adding heat, by microwave or any other method, only works if you compress the air first like a jet engine, requiring mammoth amounts of power. Otherwise, jet engines would not have compressors and you could just ignite a candle and get thrust. Candles don't fly around either. Still, the technology isn't wholly useless. NASA has been using electric plasma engines for some years now. In space, without the friction of atmospheric pressure to overcome, they work just fine energising xenon plasma. Even with such little oomph, thanks to months and years of constant acceleration in the gulf of space, they can reach high enough speeds to complete interplanetary missions. Some futurologists have tantalisingly suggested we might see a coming generation of hybrid planes that use plasma jets for cruising in the high atmosphere after fossil fuels do all the heavy lifting on takeoff. Still, suffice it to say that it'll be a good while before this promising green technology gets off the ground. What do you think? Can you imagine jetting on holiday on an electric plasma-powered aircraft anytime soon? Let us know in the comments. And don't forget to subscribe for more high-concept tech content. Okay, so again, um, thank you and fair use uh, for educational purposes. This is from the YouTube channel Vision. And this are this is what are electric plasma jet engines. And I wanted to share that with the family to show you that now they're starting to talk about plasma, uh, using plasma for um, energy purposes. And this example, jet engines, um, I suspect, and I guess I could do a little research on a direct energy weapon that is also plasma technology. Um, they have been showing us this in movies for years using plasma technology when they do the Star Wars uh, with um, Darth Vader and them, the Jedi's lightsabers. That's a plasma laser that they are using it. They also show us in all of the uh, particular space movies when the... Um, the spaceships do the thrust that coming out the back is that plasma um, thrust. It's a plasma thrust. So they're using plasma jet engines. That's what they've been showing us for years in the movies. And you heard in this particular video that they said NASA has been using plasma jet engines uh, for some years now. Okay, so none of this technology I am saying is new. This is all old world stuff, family, that they are starting to recycle. All right, so uh, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you all so much, family. Again, uh, the source for this is um, teslaresearch.gemdofree.com. Uh, in this particular episode, 
two of Old World Technology and Hidden in Plain Sight. We went over Niagara Falls. Uh, we're going to continue in this series. If you didn't catch part one, I highly um, encourage you to catch part one. We went over uh, the oscillators and the death rays. Um, and then if you want to get a little bit more detail on how um, Edison, Westinghouse, and Tesla were all competing in the late 1800s to bring electricity to the world. All right. So we're going to come back next week with the part three on this series. I want to thank the family very much. I wish everyone well on this Monday. Uh, this is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. Peace and love, family. What?